Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 269. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. And today, Kathleen, per your selection, we're going to be discussing an article written by Adam Sternberg of The Cut that was published on July 9th, 2018. And this article is entitled The Extinction of the Middle Child. Throughout the article, Sternberg describes how middle children are increasingly becoming a rarity in our society, primarily because people are having less children, the national average in the United States now being only two children leaving us with an oldest and a youngest, but no one in the middle. And in reflecting on this new phenomenon, Sternberg delves into the place and role of middle children, especially as they contribute to our society, but also the hardships of being a middle child. I was particularly interested in this topic because I am a middle child myself. Now, I'm not a classic middle child like Sternberg, the author is, meaning that it's not just three children and I'm smack dab in the middle, but rather I'm the fourth of five. And this article in many ways did ring true with my experience and the way that I understand myself now and how my placement as a middle child has affected the person I am today. Those primary traits being that I am easygoing but not passive and diplomatic. However, Sternberg does address many of the grievances that middle children have, grievances that I don't particularly share, that they are overlooked and forgotten and because of that are attention starved and find ways to compensate for that. I myself have never really felt that in my family dynamic. This idea that the oldest as the highest succeeding and the youngest as the baby somehow steal all the attention. Part of me wonders if that's just because there are three of us in the middle, and because of that we have a shared community of middleness. But it also might allude to the point that Sternberg makes, and entertains at various points throughout the article, that our birth placement might not have that deep of an effect on who we are. And in that spirit, Kip, I wanted to ask you, as somebody who is not an only child, if you identify with your birth order placement and how you understood your role in the family as explained throughout this piece. Well, to the audience who may not know, I am the youngest of two and have an older brother. And in many ways, I identify with a lot of what was described of middle children, even though I am the youngest and probably was babied as a result. At one point in the article, Sternberg refers to the Austrian psychiatrist Alfred Adler, who in the 1920s believed that, quote, by virtue of being burdened neither with excessive expectation, like the firstborn, nor the excessive attention, like the lastborn, middleborns are uniquely poised to succeed. One middle child interviewed for this article remarked that she was allowed certain invisibility because of the status of her birth order, and so she became a writer. Sternberg makes various conclusions about middle children and the lifestyles or careers they end up having. Though Sternberg does acknowledge it, birth order may not be so powerful a pillar in our familial world. I want to reference here that in 1956, Paul Meal, a psychologist, coined the Barnum effect, which, quote, describes our tendency to recognize and agree with personality traits that seem to be tailored specifically for us even when they're general enough to apply to a large group, end quote. And I think this is key when we discuss things like astrology or birth order. I'm not saying they're wrong or couldn't possibly be correct, but a grain of salt and skepticism I find valuable here. That said, there's an element to this article which is illuminated by its title and then by the subheader that Sternberg chooses to give, which reads, The Extinction of the Middle Child 
they're becoming an American rarity just when America could use them the most. And what I find so fascinating about these few words is that it's an extinction of, as Sternberg calls them, a subspecies. And I find that fascinating because they could just as easily come back if cultural or personal attitudes changed. And also this idea that they're leaving at a time when America could use them most. And that last line reminds me of the much-beloved Nickelodeon show, Avatar The Last Airbender. But to focus for a moment on this idea of extinction, I'm just so enamored of the concept because we're not losing DNA. It's not like the woolly mammoth or other species that have gone extinct, which we could scientifically attempt to revive. The extinction of this subspecies reflects something about what our society wants, or as I think Sternberg would say with a wry smile, doesn't want. And that to me is at the crux of the article, that middle children have been undervalued to an extent. You could similarly write parallel articles about the extinction of certain natural environments as humans encroach on them with constructions and cities. And I do think that extinction in such a human-powered world reflects what we do or don't value. I believe that we have the collective agency as a species to make very powerful and planetary choices. So to me, what's so interesting in this article is that it is a choice, even if it's somewhat more subconscious or buried. I think this article is a beautiful anthem for the middle child, and one that I, in my curiosity, really loved. I think it's very important that you bring the use of the Barnum effect in this article to our attention. And something I also found myself reflecting upon throughout the readings, particularly as I've noticed the coming together of firstborns, lastborns, or middle children, and how we often unintentionally structure our friendships or partnerships around people who fall in the same birth order as us. My parents are both the youngest of their families. My oldest sister is married to another oldest child, and my partner and I are both the second to last. And of course, this wasn't some kind of criteria that we all held in looking for partners, but it somehow serendipitously worked out that we all found someone who must have reflected ourselves. And I do think that birth order has something to do with that. In friend groups, however, I've noticed that there's sometimes a different formation, particularly as that isn't just a single partnership, but a relational unit of multiple people, and in that way mirrors an entire family. One of my friend groups in particular, made up of myself and two other women, includes, between the three of us, an oldest child, a middle child, and a youngest child. And this leads me to believe that there are different roles within friend groups and communities that we need to fulfill, some designed for the oldest, others for the middle and youngest. And what I appreciate most about what you bring up is that this isn't some kind of a genetic phenomenon that distinguishes us. Instead, what we're seeing is an extinction of character, an archetype of the middle child. You also brought up this concept of our role and the extinction of a species, and what is in our power to bring a species back. And within the article, we see that Sternberg actually reflects briefly on the creation or formation of a middle child, pointing out that ultimately, what gives the middle child their character isn't actually their placement within the birth order, but a general lack of attention from their parents. And this is a concept that I struggle with a little bit. Primarily because if we accept this definition, it means that what we need to bring back the species of the middle child is, to some extent, a little bit of parental neglect. Now, of course, this must be a reasonable kind of inattention. But what I find, particularly from my own experience, is that what makes a middle child a middle child isn't the fact that they're consistently overlooked, 
but that from a very young age, they're forced to understand how to live in a community. Oldest children, in many ways, are trial runs of sorts. Parents are still figuring out how to parent, what rules and regulations they want to impose on their children. And in many ways, the oldest child is a part of that process. By the time the youngest child comes around, these rules have often changed or become a little more lax, and babies seem to be exempt from many of the rules in place. But this is what is unique about the middle child, that they are thrown into a family system and they have to learn how that system functions and how they, the middle child, operate within the system. I do think, however, that Sternberg brings up an important point about inattention, reflected in the anecdote from within the article that you brought us to earlier, Kip, of the woman who in many ways felt invisible and because of that became a writer and understood the power of observance. However, I don't think this necessarily points to a lack of attention, but rather a tempering of attention. Parents don't always carry the same overbearing worries that they do with an oldest or youngest child. There's a kind of freedom that comes with being the middle child, and the things that you can do or create or imagine when you are unseen. I think that's beautifully phrased. And a large part of me felt, in reading this article, that if middle children are diplomatic, it's because they've been diplomatically forged by their circumstances. As you articulated, they are forced to navigate the circumstances of their existence, which I would say is true of everyone. Though, as Sternberg points out, perhaps excessive attention or high expectations greatly color and shape the lens with which youngest and eldest children go out into the world and learn how to understand it. I also think, extrapolating from this article, that in a world of fewer and fewer children per family, we may see new subspecies there. Perhaps the only child of your will give way to the hyper-only child of the 2020s or the 2030s. If our society continues to be as lonely as it is, maybe parents will give an excessive amount of attention to that only child. And terms like helicopter parent will become a trivial idea in contrast to the mid-century parents of the 21st century who might have entirely new relationships with their only or two children. I also appreciate your use of the phrase that parents are figuring out how to parent as they have each successive child. And in some ways, that feels true for me. There were moments in my life as an adolescent or a child where I felt as though I was being parented as a second version of my older brother, when that's obviously not true to anyone. I think a lot of us who've had the same teachers in school can speak to the effect of professors or instructors who say, oh, you're so-and-so's sibling? Because we're entirely different. Our interests may differ vastly. And some people in my life, hearing a bit about my family, have been surprised that my brother and I, at least in my very subjective description of him to them, turned out so differently, to which I always respond that we're different people. And in fact, I would wager that any two, three, or more siblings might share some qualities, but their individuality should be maintained. I feel the same way about twins, who I think are often unnecessarily lumped in, and I would have loved more information from Sternberg about twins who fall in the middle of their respective families. But I want to come back to parental neglect. As I very bluntly wrote in my notes while you were speaking, parental neglect, comma, its value because I see an important spectrum here. I referenced helicopter parents earlier, and I'm of the belief that excessive attention can be really destructive to a person, perhaps leading them to expect it throughout their lives when, I'm sorry, 
There are billions of us all trying to figure this out, and you can't always be the center of attention. But similarly, to be denied any parental connection or attention is not something I would advocate for. I would argue that while the middle child may be going extinct, in a world where there are plenty of parents juggling multiple jobs who may not have time to see their one, two, or more children, we may find only, or eldest or youngest children, facing similar circumstances of neglect. Where in prior generations, parental roles may have been delineated by cultural norms that, let's say, a father would work and a mother would remain in the home to raise the children, if we have different family structures now where both parents might work and, again, might work multiple jobs, it might not matter if you're a middle, oldest, or youngest child if you only see your parents for a couple of hours a week or don't even eat meals with them. All families are different, and I personally don't think Sternberg makes sufficient mention of that in this article. I also want to take a moment to share some statistics that I found really captivating and interesting while reading what Sternberg had to say. The first is that, towards the top of the article, quote, According to a study by the Pew Research Center in 1976, the average mother at the end of her childbearing years had given birth to more than three children. Read that again. In the 70s, four kids or more was the most common family unit. Back then, 40% of mothers between 40 and 44 had four or more children. 25% had three kids. 24% had two. And 11% had one. Today, those numbers have essentially reversed. Nearly two-thirds of women with children now have two or one. And I would end the quotation there, but the next paragraph begins, While dramatic, this shift won't be surprising if you haunt the playgrounds of New York. And no, Mr. Sternberg, I don't haunt the playgrounds of New York, and I think that stat speaks to an interesting reversal. But towards the end of the article, Kathleen, the other statistic that really stood out, quote, a 2015 paper in Law and Society Review found that among the 55 justices who served from 1900 to 2010, oldest and only children showed a strong tendency towards conservative ideology, while middle and youngest children favored liberal decisions. And I find that so interesting because our world these days, at least as we record this in 2019, and I suspect will continue for several years, is heavily politicized. And I think one of its chief concerns is that we don't understand people who don't share our political beliefs. But if it is perhaps tied to things as innate as birth order and the way one was raised, how do we navigate that as a society? And to Sternberg's constant refrain, do we really want a world with fewer diplomats, which he sees as a middle child trait, or with fewer hardy types whose upbringing gives them a knack for empathy? I find that a bit reductive. And I'm really intrigued by this idea that politics and our political chaos or peace may be determined by birth order. Though again, I'm aware there are other factors. I really appreciate what you just shared about your own experience with your sibling and how many people are often baffled by the fact that you are different people. I find that this point of individuality within siblings is probably bound to the parental inattention that we've both been talking about. That in inattention and the moments where you're not being told what to do or how to do it, being stifled by parents or babied by them, that children have the opportunity to form their own distinct identity, at once informed by their family insofar as they're a part of it, and especially as a child, that you don't have much of a life beyond that family as you are in constant proximity to them, but that even within that space, there is room for independent development. 
And independence is one of those characteristics that Sternberg actually points out as a trait of the middle child. I also think that it is incredibly important that you bring up the fact that all families are different. And after you said that, I realized that this article is absolutely tailored toward the middle-class two-parent household, which increasingly, like the middle child itself, is becoming a rarity. Now, I'm not necessarily trying to imply that there's any real correlation here, but rather that middle-childness might develop differently under different circumstances. I also found myself particularly drawn to the statistic regarding the Supreme Court judges and the correlation between birth order and political affiliation. And in my own reflections, I found myself returning again to the idea of rules and rule following and how those rules might change with each successive birth, thereby affecting each child's relationship to rules, something I find to be incredibly relevant in the liberal conservative divide. I do think, however, it's important to point out, as Sternberg does himself, that Donald Trump is a middle child. And although many understand him as being, quote, functionally firstborn, this fact does, nonetheless, complicate our understanding of the middle child, particularly as that relates to political affiliations and diplomatic abilities. Throughout my reading of this article, I was especially struck by what I found to be the language of competition arising again and again. In many ways, it seemed that birth order, first, middle, and last, was likened to a kind of race or Olympic competition. Sternberg talks about this in terms of fighting for parental attention, but even the monikers of first, middle, and last lend themselves to this language of competition. In our society, we are taught to place value on people who do things first, or those who do something last, as our most important models. For example, the first person to go to space or the end cap of an achievement. And in doing so, we forget about all the successes of those in the middle. And in this sense, I wonder if we simply need to reframe our grammar when it comes to family, if there is a way to make it less competitive and, funnily enough, more familial, to create a language that is better founded in kinship and in community rather than fighting. A kinship that Sternberg would argue middle children exceed overwhelmingly at producing. And a part of me, ever hypothetically curious, wonders what a world would look like if we isolated middle children. What if there were some social experiment in which thousands of middle children were asked to construct a society from scratch? Would it be the most diplomatic and utopian society? Would it be the most innovative, as Sternberg references Bill Gates and others for being innovators given their middle child status? You also brought up Donald Trump, and at this point, I would reference folks like Anne Hathaway, Abraham Lincoln, Warren Buffett, or Jennifer Lopez. Sternberg even mentions that in our pop culture, on TV sitcoms, the middle child is, quote, the misunderstood smart Alec. Whether it's Lisa Simpson, Alex Dunphy of Modern Family, or Malcolm Wilkerson of Malcolm in the Middle, there is a certain archetype that we reinforce and reproduce when we portray it on media. Now, if my time in data analysis has taught me anything, it's that we should say here that however compelling Sternberg's data is, it is still data, which can be read and interpreted in a multitude of ways. Kathleen, earlier you used the word correlation, remarking on the Supreme Court justice statistic. Causal effects are much harder to trace, and I hope that future articles and studies are done on this. Experts in this article make mention of the fact that because middle children are so perpetually forgotten, 
there's actually not a lot of research on middle children. Maybe this article or our podcast episode could encourage something like that. And as is true of any article or content we discuss on this show, we will include a link to this, and we would encourage you all to read it. In particular, I find some really striking examples. One middle child, Candace, shares the quote, Nobody took baby pictures of me, which I didn't realize until I was in my 40s and asked for them. That was a strange, awful discovery. There's another humorous example of a middle child, Naomi, and her experience of potty training, which I would encourage listeners to find and read. But Kathleen, before we conclude this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to our conversation? In the spirit of Sternberg's conclusion to the article, wherein he says, referring to the Brady Bunch, quote, we've never had a problem celebrating the Marcias and the Cindys. Maybe it's time for Jan to have her day. So what can we do to celebrate the middle child? Especially as Sternberg and Kip and I have suggested throughout this episode that it is inattention itself which contributes to many of those traits we locate in the middle child. I also wonder if listeners who have siblings identify with their birth order, or for those who are only children, if they identify with the wealth of lore around being an only child, which is generally pretty negative. And finally, I wonder how much stock we can really place in birth orders. Are they really just caricatures? Or are there even more categories beyond oldest, middle, and youngest? What about people like me, who are the second to youngest? And in my case, intended to be the baby of the family until my little sister came unexpectedly. How perhaps could that change my own positioning as a middle child? And I have two pretty similar questions for the audience especially those who plan to or have already had children of their own. The first is, are there historical or cultural events or conversations or icons, maybe even elder family members, that help determine how many children you wanted to try to have? And the second would be, knowing that families and parental styles can differ, what did that decision or maybe conversation look like? How did it play out? But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and regardless of birth order, we'd love to hear your thoughts on our discussion today. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as sharing it with a friend. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. Go in peace and conversation. <laughs>